So um, tonight I'd like to offer some reflections on our themes and pick up a theme about uh, the straddles, eros, passionate love and aliveness. Um, so I'll start by saying, and maybe it's some of your experience, that for the path to become a love affair, for the really for the path to become a love affair, we do well to explore this territory of eros, of aliveness, of passionate love. Um, I'm thinking of it right now that, let's say, aliveness is a part of passionate love, and passionate love is a part of eros, we could say. So I wouldn't limit eros to those things, but I think they're important to look into a little bit, and how what is our relationship with aliveness and passionate love without reducing eros just to those. So that's what I'd like to do tonight. So if we were interested in living a full human life, we want our aliveness. We um, see that a, an important path, both for our path, our so-called inner path, our outer path, is the zeal or the juice that keeps us alive, the passionate um, flame, we could say, that seems to... Um, arise in us each morning as we wake up, even if we don't feel passionate. The I, I think I may have mentioned last in August, but I'd like to mention again. Did I talk about my friend Ursula who had just died? Maybe I didn't on this retreat. You recognize? Maybe it was on another retreat. Um, last June, I think it was, is a great benefactor and friend called Ursula Fawcett, and she lived locally here and sat at Gaia House a lot, and she was 86, I think. Um, she had been someone who had inspired me to, um, you know, take different journeys in my path, explore, you know, creative things, explore new avenues, etc. I first met her on a um, long retreat at the old Gaia House about 25 years ago, sitting together for a month in a circle. And she was a very zesty old lady. She was, she would walk down Totnes High Street with flowers in her hair and sort of swirling, swirling around as she walked down, uh, down the high street. And she liked to think of herself as a sexy old lady. And actually, I don't think she just thought of herself that way, actually, as well. Um, in fact, about, I heard, uh, her, just before her funeral, I went to visit her body, which was one of her offerings that she was laid out for us to come and be with her. And I heard that, she, and she would love me to tell you this. I have absolute confidence. <laughs> she would love to be known in this way. Um, she said that she, uh, she didn't say, her daughters told me that she got a new boyfriend about three months before she died. And she was a very full-bodied, alive old lady, very beautiful. And what struck me very much and um, with her, and again, she would be very delighted for me to share anything that would be helpful, that was she was very generous in that way. She has a very generous spirit. When I had no money whatsoever, she would sub me to go and do courses that she thought I really needed to do, and I really did. <laughs> um, you know, she would support me in that way. And as she was, um, we went to her flat, three days she was laid out for, and it was a beautiful day, and they had the windows open so that the air could come in and keep her cool. Um, and her daughters had laid her out beautifully. She had a beautiful gold woven robe on and flowers around her and her hair was done and um, but what was so clear is that that spark that fire that flame wasn't visible to me 
anymore, right? Something had changed in that form. There was a quietening of that flame of aliveness. So while we have this, and who knows what happens next, that's not what I'm positing tonight. But while we have that vitality igniting us in the morning that wakes us up again, oop, here I am again, how do we hold that aliveness, that zest, that spark, And how might it be supported to be in the service of inflaming our passionate love affair with the path? So I want to look at two parts to passionate love. One is what we might typically think of as the passionate part to passionate love. Um, which can have that juicy, scintillating, zesty, zeely, you can come up with other words. What's it like when you're really passionate in terms of the quality? Zesty? Fiery. Fiery. For you, is it fiery, Jill? (laughs) Fiery, yeah. Anything else? Fruity. Yeah, it can be fruity. Sparkly, yeah, can have an intensity to it. Full, full on, did somebody say? <laughs> full on, yeah, full on. And another word for that is like we're switched on. It's like all systems go. Here I am. I remember the, at my one of my brother's weddings, the best man uh, who was doing his best man thing, being a bit cheeky, said of actually the new sister-in-law that he first met the new sister-in-law at a party where the sister-in-law met my brother. And apparently the story went that this sister-in-law, which I I don't know, said his first encounter with her was her looking at my brother going, I want that man and I want him now. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) Right? So that's that's the sort of, you know, full-on, all systems go kind of um, passion. I want to include with that a very important um, part of the heart in this, so that the passion and the love can be in the service together. So we're not just opening up passion um, willy-nilly, so to speak. Um, that something about our human heart and its sensitivity and the way that it can be so vulnerable, particularly when there is passionate love, right, can be so um, uh, undefended, right, can be so undefended, so... uh, Without, well, I've said it really, haven't I? Undefended. That that sensitivity can sometimes be, while it's very exquisite, can sometimes be hard to bear for us as humans because it feels vulnerable. It feels vulnerable. And it is. And I want to frame vulnerability here not just in the way that we typically think of it as being vulnerable to harm, but we, I say, would say do well to have this vulnerable um, delicacy of our heart. Vulnerable also to be able to be impacted by the beyonds to be impactable to depth, that depth can impact us 
We're vulnerable to depth. We're vulnerable. We're impactable, willing to be impacted by what we don't know yet, by what's beyond our current frames of reference, our current frames of experience, our current frames of conceiving ourself and the world. So if we want to know soul-making, we want to be able to be impacted together with this eros, this juicy um, desire to go deeper into the beyond. The navigation of that going deeper into needs an exquisite sensitivity and attunement to know when that desire has gone off course, when that desire is no longer in the service of what I most deeply love, what I am most faithful to, what I want to dedicate my life to. Does that make sense? Right? I want that desire. Yes, we want the juice of that. Without that, our path can just fizzle out. But that zeal, together with the exquisite human heart, can be like a rocket fuel and the most sensitive navigation. I am also including our brilliant cognition in this. Right? that that's part of it too. But for now, I really want to emphasize this, um, the aliveness and this attunement together. So as we open to Eros, is as um, part of our path. It, it's not that that's new to you. you. You will already have Eros for your path. You wouldn't have gotten this far with the path. It's already clearly here. But if we're getting more discerning about the desire here. Um, and I think it came up a little bit in the Q&A today. Um, this, this desire to go beyond, this desire to know more of my beloved other, and the fine attunement with that, that passionate love can come from a place of sufficiency. That desire doesn't always come from lack or um, hunger. And as we open to the passionate love on the path, my experience and um, maybe yours is that it is likely to surface those places. It is likely to let surface some of those shapes that I typically take where I do identify as lacking and wanting, where I do identify as, um, what was the other one I said? Lacking, wanting, can't Hungry, yeah. Where I do identify as needing more something, more nourishment, right? It will surface those places, and that's normal and appropriate. And holding them, healing them, also beginning, and we'll hopefully speak more about this, to relate to those two imaginally. The way our particular so-called ego structure, the way our particular senses of self typically take shape when we're in loving, passionate relationships. Have you noticed that we take shapes in relationship and tip and surprisingly to many of us, once we're in some kind of passionate relationship, whether it's with a human other or however that may show up, even other shapes show up that we don't normally see. We think we're normal until we fall in love, right? Or we think we're normal until suddenly someone arrests our senses and suddenly those places surface that it may come for healing and for clarification, actually. And in our practice of tunus, we're not only going beyond that stitching. Right? So let's say I have a pattern typically in a passionate relationship that... Do you want to tell me one of yours? <laughs> um, I'm dead normal until... Um, I find I go funny around her, right? Something about her makes me go funnier, and I'm really interested. It doesn't necessarily have to be a sexual. It might be 
doesn't have to be a sexually erotic um, other, but it's erotic in the sense I'm interested, I want to get closer, I want to know more, I want to hang out more with, I'm delighted to be with you, right? And it's exciting, and when I'm excited, I typically, what? <laughs> Shut it down? Don't want her to see that. Or I typically start scratching at the door in that kind of hungry deficiency. Or I typically hope I'm going to be noticed and I spend my time obsessing. Please notice me. And we do well to get to know those places really get to know those, not only to transcend them. Yes, we can learn those practices. And this is what somebody spoke about in the group, being able to dissolve more the two-ness into, into one-nesses or, or further. And then what happens when two re-arises? What happens in that moment when two re-arises? So, Many things about this, including being able to see that maybe the way we take shape, those places that we feel ashamed about or embarrassed about or that where I lose my cool or where, you know, I'm always feel like I'm being rejected or um, always feel not good enough or whatever it might be, that those, that stitching, the way I've been sort of stitched together, that that too can be viewed imaginally. So I'm not only going beyond, I'm not only dissolving it, yes, but when two re-arises, that shape may come in. But I don't have to shrink around it. I can include the sensitivity of that without reifying that sensitivity. It's like, oh, here's the one who expects to be rejected. Right? Without reifying that, without closing it down, then maybe something about that portal, something about that sensitivity might be and show us even more beyond than we had known before, so that my healing isn't only when I clarified my stuff and I'm not feeling so sensitive or uncool or, you know, embarrassed or... No, include the shapes. Resonate with them. Don't demand that they go before our passionate love affair with life, perhaps, with soul, with the beyonds with each other, can be allowed to inflame. So, aliveness. How able is your aliveness to be allowed in the service of your sitting, your walking, your soul-making, your handling, your experience. How are you with aliveness? There's no special way aliveness should look in anyone's soul. There's no particular image of aliveness that you should become. I, I know one friend who was a monk for many years, and on the outside, from that particular lineage, it looked pretty austere. You know, no food after 11.30, and um, didn't look like a lot of fun from the outside, right? And he said of his many, many years as a monk, they were the most passionate years of my life, right? So it doesn't have to look a certain way. It could be really, really not even knowable to somebody from the outside, how much somebody burns for what they love. And it might look full throttle <laughs> in some of us. And that isn't necessarily more alive or not more alive. 
It depends what it's in the service of, actually. Because we can be on full throttle and we know where that can go, right, sometimes. But we might be on full throttle with that sensitive aperture of the heart and the understanding that we can deepen in here. So, so watch out. And, and it was interesting today in the group, someone explored and they were very happy for me to share this here tonight. And she said, um, I'm feeling a bit dull in the meditation since I've got here, a bit sluggish, a bit mm, heavy, a bit. Um, and she said, and this morning, I, as I sat, I remembered some things about basic mindfulness and investigation and, and said, it's, it's, that's better. I can start to enter a relationship with this. I can be with the sluggishness. I can look at the heaviness, etc. She said, and is there anything else I could look at? to support this investigation. So I asked her, what do you want? Right, so engaging the wanting, what do you want? And her first response was, and it's kind of in response to the hassle of the, of the, all the unsatisfactoriness of the kind of uh, sluggishness, she said, I want to be alive. I want aliveness. I want to be alive. Right? And as she said it, all of us in the room who were seeing her could see that she suddenly got switched on as she let herself want what she wanted. Right? She let herself, I want to be alive. Right? And she lit up and she was on. Her gas volume went up from sort of, I don't know, I, I'm going to speak for her. She could do her own dials, but maybe from one to, you know, four or five or seven or ten. I said, okay, what's it like to let yourself want what you want? And she said, and she was still really bright and animated, and she said, um, oh, I can't have it. And I said, what can't you have? She goes, oh, I can't be like what aliveness looks like. And she had an idea of aliveness. So I could say an image of aliveness, but used differently than imaginal. She had an image of what aliveness should look like. And I, th I think, she might correct me, that it was of a particular person who has a kind of an obvious quality of aliveness. She said, I can't be them. And to try and be like them would be, you know, what's, what, what it's like when you try and be someone else. Have you ever done that? <laughs> when you try to become an idea of who you think you're supposed to become. It's joyless. It kind of, it kind of breaks our heart, actually something very unfaithful to our heart in that when we try and become someone else. So I said to her, um, we had a little inquiry about that, and then I asked her, but what's it like just to let yourself want to be alive? And right there and then, and she let herself want what she want, wanted, she again lit up, she let herself come to her own, and she said her own viveka, Remember this morning, this word of seclusion, where she becomes resonant with her own embodiment, right? She said, oh, and as she did that, her energy, she said, oh, that's interesting. My energy starts to go down, right? And I thought, that's interesting, because down isn't what we typically think of as alive, is it? When you think of a flame, it goes up, right? And it's beautiful, but she was going down, but she was still really alive as she was going down. And as she went down, she goes, oh, this is interesting. She said, I'm becoming like a tree, right? And as she sensed that with her body, as she became like a tree, she goes, oh, wow, there's roots. Wow, she said, this feels really fertile, really fertile. And she said, um, feels firm and solid and really alive and very fertile. And, ooh, and she found her body doing this and she said, oh, I have branches and I don't know what's going to come off of those next, right? And there she was exploring this, what had become an image. Her body had become image. Her body was um, uh, infused with soul, with alive, not taking herself to believe she is a tree, right? But neither did she shut down any of those pieces along the way in that inquiry, including the dukkha, 
including the dukkha at the beginning, the aversion to the tiredness, her own spark of investigation, the fruits of her path so far, to go further with that. And this quality of soul that emerged there in her location as her had many, many qualities of aliveness. But, you know, if we have an idea of how we're supposed to be alive, then of course we'll do that dukkha thing where there's a gap between where I am now and who I think I should become. And there's no soul in that anymore. Um, hmm. I want to speak a little bit about instinct. Remember we had that discussion about that word. Yeah. Um, and a lot of, a lot of those kind of promptings in our soul, we could say, feel instinctual. Like when you really fall in love with someone, it's not just mediated through your head, right? Is this a good idea? Is it not a good idea? It's like, oop, there it is. It has a sort of instinctual quality. And I want to use the, define a little bit the word instinctual. I looked it up. And I want to sort of re-consecrate it a little bit from what can get, uh, how it can get used in a paradigm where instincts can be reduced to um, being caused by only by kind of biological causes, as if as if that could explain them totally, right? As if that could explain instincts, and that belongs to our animal nature and. But we have this other thing that's rational or heartful and that's better. And, and even if we jump around in different camps, no, no, instincts is better. No, 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 rational is better. Actually, what would it be to not have to do any of that and just look again through your own experience at what are your, one definition I liked when I looked it up was natural prompt, natural promptings. The ways you're prompted. Natural promptings. Kind of less mediated by um, whether it's a good idea or not, right? Your natural promptings. Let's acknowledge that there's a lot of confusion about our instincts for our natural promptings towards food, sex, security, social relationship, um, uh, survival. There's a lot of confusion. In, a, in the way they can bring a lot of anxiety. There's also a lot, let's acknowledge, a lot of confusion around this in spiritual circles and that instincts, very often, our natural promptings can be kind of denigrated as second class. Spiritually, they can be second class to what is more considered higher developments so that might be the heart, might be the intellect, might be sky, sky and all that the sky is. They can also be denigrated in secular context in the sense that um, even if I might say, yes, I'm here fully on this earth as a human animal, I still may not yet have fully embodied into those and still be preferencing my intellect, I still might be preferencing the rational. Um, I might be privileging that as somehow higher. And how would we know that? It would be which altars we worship at. Which altars do I bow down before? Do I tend always to go up to the, um, to the beautiful but one gift of the being able to look and see and um, get some distance on and kind of look at something from a from a uh, the, the, the kind of space you get from viewing something. Do I always go there? Do I never go there? 
right? Do I never go there? Do I think, oh, no, I don't want to go up there. I want to come just into the body, just into my senses, right? Does that make sense? Do you, do you have, have you seen in your life perhaps a journey with that or, oops, I'm always happier. Some of us are happier in our hearts, right? And we might not venture very intellectual and very sensual. Some of us very sensual and might distrust intellectual. Some of us are very intellectual and might distrust it. We can be all of it. And for soul and soul making, let's have it all. Let's have it all and more than, than we've even seen yet. More than we've even seen yet. Not, let's not even limit it to that. So how would it be to have, yes, your beautiful, bright mind, your exquisite human heart, your natural promptings, all in the service of what it is you love most deeply, all in the service of whatever you burn most deeply for. So passionate love, a little bit. I'm going to give some words to passionate love. So this is where that zesty zeal that we spoke about before kind of comes into the heart. When you hear, at least from what I've read, when the mystic poets speak about their passionate love for the divine, um, what kind of language do you hear? What kind of metaphor, what kind of... um, soul do you hear? And one of the things that strikes me is I hear words and I recognize words about richness and intensity, potency, fullness can also be sweet, can also be tart. You hear language about wine, and the wine is usually red wine, right? If you read those poets in love with whatever they're in love with, it's not usually Chardonnay, (laughs) right? It's red, it's rich, it's deep. Nothing wrong with Chardonnay, right? Do you recognize this at any point? Maybe you know it really well. Maybe breathe a little into the suggestion that I make. Breathe, sense your chest, sense your hips, sense your vertical. Let the suggestion be here. You you don't have to pick it up. But like any suggestion, like pointing to anything in practice, sometimes it can surface what seems to be the obstacles to certain qualities. You might go, oh no, I never have this. I want this. I hear them speak about it, but I'm bereft. I'm out of touch with the belovedness. If that's the case for anyone here, and I'm sure it will be, and it was for a couple of people today in the group, let that be included. Don't try to be roomy. Don't try to be someone else. There's no joy, there's no sacredness in that. Be right here where you are, even with what might seem like a limit to your heart's capacity to know its passion. And if the suggestion strikes you and resonates through our defendedness or through our whatever it might be, the ways we might have shut down that sense because of the hurt, the rejection, the million good reasons why that might have gotten limited. Know those. But if the suggestion is available also to you in that quality, if you recognize it, know it, resonate right now, include it. Let's, let's drink wine together. Whatever it is that you've known that in relation to. 
It feels divine to love. And it feels divine to love passionately. It hurts to not be loved back. But that doesn't hurt half as much as shutting down the love, the wellspring, the issuing, the fountain of our loving nature. Sometimes we think we're out of contact with the, the love because the other one didn't love us back. That aches, but what hurts, what feels like a rip in the soul is closing down that connection with the... Um, with the love that isn't just ours, not limited to a small sense of myself. When the object of our love is not here, we can continue to love. Eros becomes greed or the passionate love becomes greed, as I see it so far, when we want that passionate love to yield results for me. I want it to yield results for me. <laughs> Anyone not know this? I want the other to see me, to marry me, to... say I'm the only one. And if I take it out of the human beloved relationship, bringing it into, let's say, with an image internally, which we may equally have such beautiful, passionate, beloved zeal for. If I want that to yield me an insight, yield me a beyond, give me something, and then what happens? Craving, clinging. I want to invite you into a, to let your mind, your body and your heart think about for a moment with me, with us and celebrate as a way into this, another way into this uh, theme, the realm of children. Switching gear here, because sometimes we think of that where I've gone so far more in the kind of romantic department. Let's include children in this inquiry for a moment. The, um, the aliveness and the zeal of the children. And I'm going to take us through some stages that I've witnessed, and I'm not an expert, but I've witnessed it with, with small beloveds. Um, some of you have small beloveds. We have a small beloved coming over there in, with Hannah. Right. Some of you are parents, grandparents in this room. <laughs> Maybe someone's a great-grandparent, I don't know. But just think about children for a moment and the qualities of aliveness and passion at different stages that might show up. And think about, think about it and sense your body and let yourself dream in to any of those things that resonate with you about children. So breathing, sensing your vertical. If, if anything becomes in this theme too much for you, then widen. If there's too much under pressure, it doesn't need to be, but widen your attention. Let there be lots of room so we can all do this together. Imagine, if you will, and this isn't necessarily imaginal, imaginal might be, but it's felt imagination where we can resonate with images and ideas. Imagine, if you will, the zeal that you might see in a small baby 
whose age is a not yet sitting up baby. So maybe three months, two months, four months. And they, their passion, in my observation, you can tell me different stories, but this is a story I'm telling and pick it up. But from my observation, when that little lying down baby does anything, it's pretty total in its expression. When it's happy, it's totally happy. When it's unhappy, it's totally unhappy, right from the crown of its head, right out into its wiggling little arms and its fingertips when it wants something, right down to its toes and its toenails and beyond and behind, and this whole little pulsing divine bundle of thrusting life force, poof, total. Even if the child is unwell, it's whole. It hasn't separated itself out into parts yet. As one of my teachers says, we haven't become... She says, sometimes I work with my students, she said very kindly to me, looking at me, (laughs) and others, not only me. And some of you look like Picasso pictures. It's like, what, what on earth is she talking about? She meant like, you know, your head's going that way and your body's going that way and, you know, there's these bits over there and those bits over here. It's not always whole anymore. Something can get divided up in some of us. And we can heal that. We're not done deals. If we practice fluidity, if we practice letting things liquidify, especially when we let eros in, and that can happen, we can be reformed when the container is firm and flexible enough. So, back to the baby. <laughs> I was had that kind of excitement there. Back to the baby, small baby. Think of the... Um, and see again, when I bring in these uh, images of more instinctual, natural promptings, which it is in that small one, right? Really unmediated by very much. When I bring in these... See if there's any aversion to the images or any like, oops, or mm, not sure about that, or, or anything that comes up. Include that. Include that, but also let yourself see where this can go. So think of the passion of that little one, that newborn, where it's a lot, a lot of zeal, a lot of thrust, a lot of force to suck, to suck with excitement, what it needs to suck. When did you last see one? Was it recently? It's full. It's full on, right to the bottom of their spine. I can see some of the mothers smiling. (laughs) Right to the bottom of their spine, right full. Right? I actually remember studying, they've done some experiments with very small babies, um, about uh, recognition, recognition of language and things like that, even when they're supposed to be pre-language. And the way they measure the baby's recognition, this is at least when I studied it, it might not be up to date anymore, um, was that for very small babies, they put a dummy in the, their mouth, wire it up to some measuring thing, as we are apt to do in this era, and... Um, and they see how many sucks per second it does. <laughs> and so it was a recognizing language. When it can discriminate language, apparently, very, very early, its own mother's tongue from other languages, but very early. And if it's got more sucks per second, it's more excited. It's more turned on. It's more turned on. And then when the English baby hears French at whatever, it's very interesting when they're, Who's, who's looked at this? When the English baby hears French, I can't remember, but I, one thing I remember was when the English baby hears Dutch, that's the hardest one to discriminate. <laughs> because, and if you think about it, anyone Dutch? Yes, yes. It, the melodies are really similar, aren't they, in the way the sentences go. Language is quite different, but anyway. Um, many sucks per second, so it couldn't at one month tell the difference between English and Dutch, but it could manage many others. Right, full sucking, full sucking little creature. Right, imagine all of that in the service of your path. Can you imagine? 
Imagine coming into the meditation room and it's like, oh, goody. <laughs> right? How many sucks per second? <laughs> Imagine now a little bit older baby. And a, f- a couple of months ago, I have a friend, she's in Holland, uh, lives in Holland, and I inquire with her regularly on Skype. We exchange with spiritual friends, Kelly and Amita, and we explore together. And um, she has a grandson, her first grandson. So as you can imagine, she's very excited and thinks he is the most beautiful. And he, and he is <laughs> the most beautiful one. And she said, could I show you a video of my grandson? And I was thinking, okay, (laughs) yes, 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 please do. I love her. I love my friend. Show me a video of your grandson. And so it was on her iPhone through the Skype. And I thought, you know, show someone a video of your grandson. It's going to be his little face and how sweet he is. No, the video was him in a high chair, right, with that little table thingy in front. And the video was actually of his legs and his hips, right? And you could just see his hands. And in the video, it's lasted 10 seconds. Someone, maybe mom or someone, comes and puts a really, what might not be something that gets your Eros going anymore, right? Like a little block, a little wooden block or something. (laughs) Wait until you can get there. Imagine we put a little wooden block here, right? Imagine. And he, can you imagine what happens? The block comes on the table. He's just quiet. Block comes on the table. And those legs, <laughs> those arms, this kind of squealing little creature, divine creature. Imagine that in the service of your path. And what's in the way of that? Imagine the sweetness and zeal maybe of a slightly older child can happen. It's, I know it's not, I'm not wanting to paint childhood as all roses. I'm pointing to particular sort of uni- possible universals that might be in there. But let's say three, four, five-year-old where there can be developmentally, um, and maybe it's before we remember, I have like vague memories, um, where there can be a really passionate kind of love for particularly one of the parents. Um, if, if you don't hang out much with children, maybe you should. <laughs> um, not should, you know. It's, it can be beautiful. Such a lot to learn. Um, but let's say three, four, and they're particularly in love with one of the parents. You see that sometimes. Have you seen with the... This little passionate little being. Daddy, I want to marry you. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, some people nodding at the back. (laughs) Yeah, very passionate. Doesn't necessarily mean it's genitally erotic. Very passionate. I want to love you. I want to be with you in a very passionate way. How about that in the service of your path? And, you know, these things haven't, they're not always easy things at all. I think I remember, it must have been about five, I think I made, I heard about Valentine's Day, I made a Valentine's Day card for my dad, I think. And um, I remember my mum saying something like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm the queen bee. <laughs> right? Something. And, she, and she's great, my mom, but I just remember this like, oh, okay. I'm not supposed to do that. <laughs> so, you know, and, and there can be many different things with all of these stages for us. You know, sometimes we can be ridiculed in our sweetness and our passion. Sometimes we can be really hurt in it. Sometimes it's not reciprocated. Sometimes it's not handled well. It can be not really not handled well at times. You can even just feel the betrayal of it not being seen as divine, even. That can feel wounding to the heart when something is made fun of or, right? 
we're not going back to try to do all of the history right now. But I offer these as um, kind of universals in a certain way, so that when we're doing our imaginal work, when we're coming into practices of two-ness, whether with a human other, imaginal other, with the tree, with the world, with each other, that we'll see some of the shapes we may typically take and some of the ways we may have shut down that aliveness or hidden some of that passion or always go out of ourself with it and leave ourself, if that's one of our patterns so that we can see as we come back into tunus from the renunciation, from the letting go of tunus, the dissolving, the liquidifying, as we resurrect in tunus, that we can see, oh yeah, here's the one who thinks, I better not be too alive. I'm going to be too full on for the other one. Any of you know that one? I'm going to be too full on. They're not going to like it. They're going to reject me. Um... I better just dim it a little bit. Or, you know, many, 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 many possibilities. So just breathing, just see how you're doing so far. I have other child phases, unless that's enough. Yeah, just breathe where you are with that much. taking care with what's here right now so we're not trying to go back in history. You might do that work sometime. You know, that could be important work. But actually here and now, here and now, stay really close to your vertical to let your spark be fanned by what it is you most deeply love and to let yourself love what you most deeply love. Let yourself love what you love. Let yourself passionately love what you passionately love. And yes, we learn skill and appropriate containers for that. And yes, we work with the healing both um, energetically, but also conceptually around what some of our um, hurts may have been, including them in soul-making as part of the particular aperture, the particular way that, that life expresses itself through you. The particular sensitivities that have attuned you the particular hurts that have attuned you in a way that no one else is precisely attuned in that way. And that can be a gift. Particular, unique viewing spot that you are. No one can see exactly as you do. Is it enough? What do you want to hear about when I fell in love with Gary Lally? <laughs> hmm? You've not heard about him? <laughs> but, it ma- but it makes your toes wiggle. Look. and Mary in the playground. We were eight. I was so into her. I was so into Mary. 
I want to tell you her surname, but in case she ends up listening, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Lally will never listen. <laughs> never, did, <I> <laughs> never did. No, I, I don't think he even knew me. <laughs> What about, what about that, as it kind of turns to wine a little bit, can do around our puberty and our development there, and it can start to take on even more qualities, even more richnesses. There's a beautiful line from Shakespeare when Miranda in The Tempest, the first time she sees a man who isn't her father. It's this lovely, oh, you know it, yeah. She says, oh, brave new world that hath such creatures in it. <laughs> You never felt like that? (laughs) Imagine that in the service of the path. Different kinds of passion, different kinds of flavors of that. There was a, I remember another girl, I was about 11, she was about 13, an older girl in the school. And we had this, we wrote these letters to each other for about six months and passed them. It, it wasn't, it was a particular kind of, we drew little funny pictures on them and said silly things in them and passed them back and forth. Very sweet, very, had its own kind of eros in it own kind of magnetism and attraction and sparkle. So letting yourself love what you love about the path, about the draw to the beyonds. Seeing where that gets limited. Where we might shut down our aliveness, our sweetness, our delicacy, our full throttleness, our gas mark fiveness, whatever way we do it, where we might close it down, where it might always go out in a very particular way, compulsively. And to notice that in our practice, to inquire into that. If we were to do an inquiry right now, I would leave you with one question, maybe two actually, maybe two questions. Um, If you at all recognize the idea of actually kind of closing down or being suspicious of our natural promptings, Um, and our aliveness that they bring. The first question I would ask you would be, what's right about shutting down your aliveness? Right. So even though I've just said there's nothing right about shutting down your aliveness, we want it for the path, this isn't speaking to the um, wise, savvy, oh yes, aliveness is a good thing. It's speaking to those less conscious conceivings that um, are operating usually, of why and where we sort of immediately close something or are suspicious of something. What's right about closing down your aliveness? What's right about limiting your aliveness? And then the, then you can respond, right? Oh, if I was a, as alive as sometimes I am, nobody would like me anymore. They'd all run away. I'd be too much for people, right? Or... What's right about limiting your aliveness? Uh, uh, you don't want to know about my natural promptings. 
this might be a response there, like no one else has natural promptings like me. They, they're off the map. I think you should not hear about my natural promptings. Right? We might be suspicious of the way our soul shows up, etc., etc. So we want to trust more um, in this practice and we'll say more how to be with skillfully this beautiful gift of our spark, our flame. If I was to ask a second question, it would be, and what is alive in your being right now? What is alive in your being right now? Don't limit the idea of aliveness. It can be very quiet. It might be red wine, it might be a little pilot light, it might be your burning for love with something, it might be shut down and your aliveness is in the resistance and the aversion. Know it. What is alive in your being right now? Let's sit together to end. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.